He's a rehab doctor from Chicago. She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities. Together, we're examining the health equity emergency. Inviting voices for change without the cue cards. I'm Dr. Carrie Haley. I'm Dr. Steven Jackson. And And this this is is Off Off the the Charts. Welcome to our show. Uh, we're really happy to to have with us uh, Katie Perro, who's a specialty and operations manager at the Burrisville Clinic, but also the co-lead of our LGBTQ plus colleague resource group. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. You know, we, we talked kind of previously in full disclosure, give you guys a uh, an inside track, you know, when we have our pre-production. And, and one of the questions came up when we think about a a why and a what is, well, how do we show up for each other? And uh, in our culture where we want our colleagues and we want our patients to feel welcomed, included, and valued uh, leads us to uh, a conversation that we're going to have with Katie Perro. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, yep, Katie Perro, I have been with uh, Park Nicolette Health Partners for about five years now. Um, recently, I guess it feels like yesterday, but it was actually about a year ago, uh, started at the Burnsville Clinic. But I have been really involved in healthcare administration since I got out of undergrad um, in Chicago and ended up here, uh, worked at Planned Parenthood for, for, excuse me, for a few years where I really started to understand a lot more about how myself as someone who doesn't have a that, that same touch or desire to practice medicine um, can be <laughs> <laughs> involved in a lot of those front lines um, and supporting patients uh, as well as our colleagues. So, you know, I think more about myself, you know, even just outside of healthcare, which is usually where my brain goes to. Um, I uh, live in Eden Prairie. Um, I have a two-year-old daughter, which having a baby during a pandemic, you know, no. it's, uh, I don't know if it's something I'd recommend, but, uh, we loved it. It's a podcast in and of itself. I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so many stories. Yeah. <laughs> but other than that, you know, I mean, I grew up, uh, bouncing around the country quite a bit. Um, but I like to say I, uh, spent my formative years in Fort Lauderdale. So yeah, I know that your sounds, eyes. That perked. sounds horrible. Oh my god, Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Thank what? you. I, a lot of people say, "Oh, it must be awesome growing up in Florida." And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> when your whole family is very classic Midwestern German culture, uh, you know, getting a little bit taste of uh, East Coast is a little different. So I bet not quite the same. Yeah. So, but yeah, I really, I, my passion around sort of the work that I do and supporting other people, um, I think has really just come from having a lot of diverse experiences growing up, you know, always having for various reasons, moments where I felt like the odd one out. Um, Mm. And I think that's just something that's really carried through for me in my entire career. Mm -hmm. Can you describe a little bit more about what your role is, um, both Mm -hmm. with the colleague resource group and your role with the Burnsville Clinic? Yep. So at the Burnsville Clinic, I serve as the specialty and operations manager. And um, for those who don't know, the Burnsville Clinic is a multi-specialty center clinic. Um, we have pretty much every specialty um, you could uh, uh, kind of throw, uh, throw a dart at. You could find us. Um, we have a surgery center, a large primary care. And when we have these large sites, um, you know, traditionally a lot of that care uh, of the facilities, the operations, the frontline um 
rolls up to the primary care manager. But because we're so big, uh, they kind of created this secondary role where I support um, all of our specialty care teams, um, mm. as well as, you know, when a pipe bursts, who's going to be there to, you know, call maintenance and, you know, manage uh, patient flow. That's that's me. <laughs> so, Go Katie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to be needed. I'll, I'll say that. Um, and then with the colleague resource group, so myself and Dina Magnuson are the co-leads for that group. You know, our role is really, it's to create a space for anyone that wants to be a part of the colleague resource group. So we have people that are part of our planning team that take on different initiatives. We have people that kind of just come for the social aspects, but we kind of just take on that onus of, uh, hosting the meetings, creating space, creating agendas. Um, but it's it's a colleague-run group. That's part of what makes a colleague resource group a colleague resource group. So we uh, are just really honored and excited about having engaged folks that want to give back um, and mm-hmm. really create a better environment for everybody here at Health Partners. And as a point of reference, we have other colleague re- resource groups, right? We do, yes. So currently there are three. Um, we have obviously the LGBTQ plus colleague resource group. We have the Black and African American colleague resource group. And we also have a, a leaders of color uh, colleague resource group. Um, and I know, um, you know, speaking for our diversity, equity and inclusion colleagues, um, what is nice is they would love to have as many resource groups as there are interested colleagues. Sure. Mm-hmm. I like that it's colleague run. Yes. Uh, you know, I think if it was run by big wigs, dare I say, uh, then maybe something will get missed. And I think it's important that people with lived experience can come together uh, to find, you know, that solidarity uh, and also, you know, to grow individually and collectively. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's probably uh, one of the one of the bigger things that stands out to me, that it is colleague run because colleagues know what colleagues need, I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's awesome. So what is what is the origin of this particular colleague resource group? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and this does predate me being on the group, so you'll have to excuse <laughs> me if I, if I misspeak. Um, but uh, prior to being a colleague resource group, we were the LGBTQ plus um, business engagement network. And really what that was, was um, it was only for leaders. Um, and it was more about how health partners as a business, as an entity, really supported LGBTQ-related initiatives, you know, more than just necessarily health equity, but also what's our presence when we talk about equity um, as an employer. As we had some, I would say, newer blood into diversity, equity, and inclusion on that team, um, there was a lot of desire to say, hey, how do we get colleagues, any colleague involved? Um, Because really, you know, being on the CRG, you're we call it an extracurricular, you know, <laughs> it's uh, we take our, our own time to do it. Um, but it's really important to make sure we're engaging everybody, not just leaders. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I think a big piece of this, too, is that the development opportunities. And so really when um, the, the two leaders at the time of the Business Engagement Network were first approached about making it a CRG, that was also around the time that they brought me in too, because I wasn't a leader at that point. And so they really wanted to get more of that individual contributor type of experience in the leadership. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. What kind of things does the CRG do? Uh, you mentioned a couple of the like events or social aspects of things, but what kind of things do does it do in order to support colleagues or give information to other colleagues who also want to be supportive? Mm-hmm. 
a colleague resource group can take many different paths. So I, you know, I say I'm speaking just from the LGBTQ CRG, uh, but we have tried to uh, take a balance between what's we call kind of behind the scenes initiatives, right? So we have people on our team that work on work groups, um, for example, getting pronouns on our badges. Um, they work on things like, you know, we're creating spaces or better pathways for people to update and change their names in um, Outlook in Epic. And, you know, we also, you know, take a look at what's our kind of engagement with other healthcare organizations, other CRGs. So we have that kind of behind the scenes that we try to work with our HR and IT um, and operations leadership to make um, just a more supportive environment for our colleagues. But then we also want to have these social aspects, right? A big piece of really any sort of safe and supportive environment is having those connections. So um, we are, you know, we kind of host regular get-togethers. We got, uh, you know, thank you to TRIA for giving us some... Uh, um, we they were so kind enough to gift us um, a box seats at the wild game, so we got to invite our CRG members to that. Um, okay. And, okay. Yeah, it was <laughs> you know it was pretty nice. We we had a great time, but I think you know we have this opportunities for social, but then we also have opportunities. You know, quite frankly, if we're struggling with something, you know, we have group members that say, hey, I you know, had this experience, I felt hurt by a colleague, or I wasn't sure how to support someone else when they were going through something. Um, so we have the very, you know, lighthearted community connection, but we also have these really deep felt, excuse me, deeper heartfelt, um, you know, problems that we kind of support each other through. So I know that the concept of being welcomed, included, and valued is not just word speak. It's not just mm -hmm. talk. I mean, that's that's a heavy lift. Because, you know, uh, in many of our episodes before, we talk about shifting a culture, uh, which starts with a mindset of the individual who forms a group, who forms an organization, who forms a society. Right. Got real big real quick. Right. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know uh, in, in, in the LGBTQ plus uh, colleague resource group, what have been some of the challenges, not only in its inception? I know it kind of predates you, but and from what you understand, what's been some of the challenges, you know, regarding its inception and then just its, its uh, you know, maintenance and, and the day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that one of our biggest challenges will always be, it's it's funny because it's it's a challenge, but it's also the beauty of the group is that it's colleague run. Um, it's mm. extracurricular. It's, you know, um, people are taking time out of their busy days to support this work. Um, so I think a lot of it is just finding, you know, the right people that want to be involved and have the time and energy um, and, quite frankly, emotional uh, emotional strength to, to kind of mm -hmm. tackle a lot of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it doesn't come easy. So, you know, I think sometimes just finding people that want to get engaged um, has been a big – and, you know, we're, we're lucky we're sitting pretty nicely on our planning team right now because that's kind of what it takes to run the rest of the CRG. But I think the biggest thing that we've been – trying to tackle and this year especially is how do we engage more diverse colleagues i say that in you know many ways that we experience diversity but a, a big one has been you know we have one hospitalist um, one frontline team member that tries to make it when she can but the rest of us are more administrative um, roles mm -hmm. we have hr it um, even chaplaincy um, you know lots of operations folks but you know when we think about who we're trying to support, um, you know, a lot of us in our administrative roles already have a lot of privilege that allows us to be on this group. Mm. Um, and so trying to find ways to engage and support those that don't have the same flexibility in their role. 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What are ways that you have kind of done so you know trying to engage like what kind of is there like an outreach component to the crg or is there thoughts of having any sort of outreach because i think as a colleague who would like to be supportive or be an ally like i'd love to hear a little bit more about like what are some opportunities that others can do even if they're not on the crg themselves Mm -hmm. yeah so um, the first thing I want to say is that as a CRG, we are open to allies as well. Um, we have uh, quite a few folks on our group that identify as allies. Um, and for us, that was a very intentional um, piece to include. Um, a, because we are, it's not always apparent, right, who is LGBTQ plus and who's not. Um, mm-hmm. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't feel like there was really any policing in that. Um, but also we know that you know, and this is a lot of what Dina and I do um, is understanding what those boundaries and barriers are between allyship um, and the LGBTQ plus experience. But we know that we need partners. We know that we need people, um, you know, in positions of formal or informal power to help us. So when we talk about how do people support us or what does that outreach look like, the biggest thing that we do is, is spread through word of mouth. We have many LGBTQ plus colleagues that recommend the group to others. We have a lot of leaders that just you know, casually mention it to their team in a you know, weekly email um, or during a huddle. You know, I think that getting people into our – we have a, a Teams channel where we kind of post things and have mm-hmm. lots of discussion. Um, but that's really the biggest thing that has helped us really get folks involved. But one of the pieces that we're really trying to spend some energy launching this year is also a what we call a, a peer support uh, network. And what that is, is a group of individuals who might identify as LGBTQ+, might not, but they are essentially you know, signing themselves up to serve as resources for anyone in the organization that is looking for support, whether they identify as LGBTQ plus or not. Um, This is, you know, a a list of people that can say, hey, you know, I am thinking about coming out at work. And, you know, maybe I work in security or I work in lab. Um, You know, I don't know how to navigate that environment. Is there someone that could help walk me through it? Or Mm -hmm. you could say, you know, I'm a leader and one of my team members is looking at transitioning or, you know, displaying their gender identity or expressing their gender in a different way. How do I support them through that process? Um, and so we have kind of ways that we can connect folks with resources to help ask questions and have that support. What is a, what is the role of partnerships, not only with other CRGs, but also other I guess other groups where there's intersectionality. Uh, as in, I'll just give a quick example. Uh, being one of the co-leaders of the cabinet, we've met many a times to develop a, a terminology guide, you know, because people need to be educated and know mm-hmm. what's up, right? And uh, how do things like that sort of help in maybe an indirect way, maybe in some direct ways, how does that help support what you guys are doing uh, in your CRG and, and your, your, your big vision? Yeah. You know, I think that any time that we are focusing on equity, whether it's in the workplace, um, in the medical workplace, or with our patients, we are highlighting the experiences um, of the disenfranchised or marginalized. And so 
I know for I know exactly the terminology guide you're speaking of, and <laughs> indeed we were very happy and excited to share it with our CRG um, because we know that there is visibility to our experiences mm-hmm. as LGBTQ plus people, and we know that there is also action. And so when we talk about partnering, um, you know, we we partner with our other CRGs uh, quite a bit, um, especially when we think about intersectionality and those who mm-hmm. um, those of our colleagues who may identify with or belong to both. CRGs mm-hmm. or multiple different CRGs. And because we know that, you know, um, myself, you know, I am a, a white woman. And so my experience as an LGBTQ plus white woman is going to be very different um, than a lot of the other uh, CRG members. And so there are things where I'm going to mm-hmm. say, hey, you know what, I am I am here to support you. I'm a little bit outside my depth because I don't have that lived experience. Um, but I would love to partner with, you know, another CRG leader sure. who can really help mm-hmm. with that mentorship and support. Yeah, I I would imagine, you know, again, partnership and, you know, this is a health equity podcast. And so health equity transcends race, color, creed, you know, gender identity, et cetera, because at the end of the day, you know, we want the playing field level. So everybody has equal access to being healthy and not just physically healthy, but mentally healthy. And, you know, obviously that's a that's a podcast in and of itself <laughs> as well, along with the the one about your two year old. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> So yeah, we, we we're definitely appreciative of uh of the partnerships that we can garner uh, across the aisle, so to speak. Because at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that we talked about in, in pre-production is that you know the outcomes of you know one particular group likely helps the outcomes of all the groups. You know, it's not just it's us and this is your silo and this is your silo, but we're all hopefully moving in the same direction and wanting you know most of the same things at the at the very least similar things. You know, so. Interesting. Yeah. I really, I mean, I like this really, I really like this idea of this colleague resource group because I feel like we're all members of this healthcare organization and kind of relating this back in general to like health equity. Like mm-hmm. we're all part like administrative, clinician, everything and anything in between who all work here. And that if we have to be healthy mm-hmm. in order to take good care of the patients yep. and that the lessons that we learn interpersonally as well, also just transcends in how we're treating our patients and treating others that we meet um, in our other roles. So I think that this type of thing only brings, even though it's, you know, focused on colleague to colleague, it still does make a big impact on how our patients are treated as well. Absolutely. You know, a big piece that we talk about is, you know, in order to help serve our diverse population, we have to make sure that we're supporting our diverse workforce. And we hmm. have a great point. We have, um, you know, a great you know, depth of diversity within our workforce and within our communities. And so the more that we can leverage and engage those colleagues to help support um, our health equity mission, the better, you know, we when we have, you know, a diverse workforce, but especially, you know, looking at our LGBTQ plus colleagues, you know, we when we're looking at process improvements or operational rollouts or communications, we are looking at it through a different lens. And, you know, when we design our our systems, processes and practices with that diverse lens in mind and with those views, mm-hmm. we are going to have better outcomes for our patients and members. Yeah, I know we, we were just talking in one of our resident conferences about so that when patients show up on Epic you can when you can click into their chart and you can see their pro, their pronouns that they want to go by but if you're looking at just what our ed board is the quick ones like the quick reference that you might just glance at they don't have the proper mm-hmm. pronouns 
So just like those types of things and just knowing and that there's a group that even working with like IT and everything that is just feels like it's a much more supportive, inclusive environment. So people don't have to double click in or think too hard about it or like feel uncomfortable. I mean, it's going to be uncomfortable, but like they don't have to go that extra step Mm -hmm. in order to make the patient feel more comfortable. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because one of the things we've been working through with Epic um, and our systems, right? So we do have um, actually a separate work group, the LGBTQ plus health equity group um, run by Greg Fedio that really helps support the patient facing aspects of this, right? So how do we impact health equity from a patient focus? And, you know, of course, a lot of what Greg does is engage with us as the CRG to make sure that, you know, we're getting that uh, diverse lens on his work. When we look at Epic, for example, we have the SOGI form, right? We have opportunities for patients. Mm -hmm. We still don't have those opportunities for colleagues. Um, Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to update any colleagues' names or add pronouns um, or anything in Epic Mm -hmm. unless you have a legal document associated with it. Mm -hmm. Um, So for people that are deciding, you know, maybe they haven't gone through a legal name change um, or they're going by a different nickname, uh, we don't currently have a way to do that. And so it's interesting where we are really, the two groups are tackling a lot of the same uh, issues and are working together to to find that right balance of how are we supporting our colleagues and our patients. Um, but it's it's just, it was an interesting example that you brought up because uh, we talk about it a the lot. The same thing, yes. Yeah. Well, I think from a big picture standpoint, when you talk about culture, uh, it starts with, again, the mindset of the individual. And I think, you know, having, you know, spaces like this to talk openly and honestly about, well, what is our culture? And again, how do we show up for each other? How do we want to be shown up for? Those kinds of things uh, are very important to consider. You know, when you think about, I think something you said earlier, Carrie, about, and I don't know if this was, this might have been another episode, a recent episode, mm-hmm. in fact, but you talked about how sometimes there'll be an eye roll if you have to go find an iPad interpreter. And it's like, well, how do we do away with the eye roll? You know, how do we make it so that you know, serving our diverse populations isn't a hassle. It isn't extra, but it's it's simply what we do, which is the definition of culture, what we do and how we do it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, obviously we have a lot of work to do in terms of, you know, changing mindsets and applying different lenses so that we can see things a little more clear. And I want to quote our chief diversity officer, Tawia Brown Oaks. Shout out to you if you listen to this episode. <laughs> uh, she she often says that we're all on that that moving and I always mess it up. It's not a stairway. The moving, it's what's the thing when you're in the like in at the airport? Yes, and it's the mo- moving, moving sidewalk, walkway there, moving walkway. walkway. There we go. Mm-hmm. And you have some that are in, you know, the um, the walk lane where they're walking. You have some that are in the stand lane. You have some that choose not to get on. You have those that are running while they're on it. You know, and and you know that just kind of characterizes the different parts of the journey that we're all on. But hopefully, we're all on it and, and trying to you know, better ourselves. Where do we go from here? You know, now that the work is done and everything is perfect now. So so much easier from here on out, right? You know, I think for us as a, when I think of what Dina and I are trying to do with with the CRG, it's, you know, how do we make this not an extracurricular? How do we make this really, um, you know, part of everyone's thoughts? So it's actually funny, Dr. Excuse me. It's actually funny, Dr. Jackson, (laughs) when you were mentioning about the iPad, because with that eye roll, right, we think about, yeah, the impact on the patient who is, you know, oh my gosh, well, now we have to you know, support this patient and this patient is probably seeing that and is now concerned that their yep. care is going to be affected. Yep. But also think about the colleagues that are surrounding you in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have, you know, I 
think of a you know, colleague that I work with that is often asked to interpret when the iPad is taken by another person, right? So it's it's often situations like that where we have to realize, you know what, everything we do, um, we are obviously looking through it from a patient lens, but we also need to be looking at it through a colleague lens. So mm-hmm. when I think of that embedded idea, really just, you know, making sure that we are highlighting the experiences of our colleagues through everyone in this organization, right? Um, you know, making sure that everyone thinks, hey, if I if I do, because, you know, I, we have long days, we have busy days, there are some things that make oh, yeah. our workflows yes. more challenging. But as we look at this, how do we have that almost like switch in our brain that makes us say, you know what, I I might be thinking that, but that's my bias. How do I kind of, you know, yeah. under, like how do I manage that, swallow that down so that I can still support my patients and colleagues? And really, you know, from an LGBTQ plus lens, unfortunately, I think we have, you know, a ways to go. But just seeing, you know, how many more people we can engage, how many more people can understand that we're here. Because even our presence and the communication of our presence is validating and advocating. You know, we have a space. We are we are valid. We are appreciated. We are welcome, included, and valued in this organization. And the more that people can hear that, the better. What can we do on the outside, outside the walls of our hospitals to help support? Because there's a lot of legislation out there now. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of unfortunate politicalization of real humans' lives. And so what can we do to help know our colleagues know that we're supporting them? And what can we do on outside the hospital walls to do that? Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about what being an ally is like, um, it's different for every relationship, right? So um, if you are an ally to your child, if you are an ally to your coworker, if you're an ally to a friend or sibling, it's always going to look a little bit different. Um, and, you know, and, and in these scenarios, you know, these unfortunately very real scenarios that we're still experiencing. Um, We are looking at this from how do we just listen? How do we really highlight the, you know, the experiences and the voices of others? So a lot of what that looks like is, you know, sometimes just calling things out, right? Um, So, uh, for example, on our CRG um, meeting, if there is sort of passing of any specific legislature or, um, you know, an, an experience, anything uh, violence related, we will always take moments just to call that out and say, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to take the next five minutes or 15 or 20 or 30 to either discuss or sit in silence or whatever. You know, it's sort mm-hmm. of we we just create that space for however anybody wants to engage in it. So I think um, acknowledging having the you know, the moment where we were saying these words out loud, we're speaking the truth. But another piece too is then what, how do we, especially if, as an ally, if you don't have all the information, if you're trying to look for other perspectives, um, you know, we, there's a lot of things we talk about. We talk about, you know, the burden of education, right? How how people who are um, members of a certain identity often have that burden mm-hmm. of educating other people about their experiences. <laughs> yes. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and what I honestly like to think of it a little bit differently, and this is for me in my role where I am in my identity and my experiences, is I think of it as not just the burden of education, but the burden of education in replacement of readily available resources. So if someone wants to ask me about what does LGBTQ stand for, I'm going to be a little bit more frustrated than if someone asked me the question, well, Katie, you know, as a, you know, as a queer woman who is married to a man, what what is that experience like for you? Those are two very different questions that have very different um, responsibilities um, around that. So 
you know, when we talk about things that are happening in the world, it's not this, you know, don't say, well, did you hear about this thing? Or just how are you feeling? Or, you know, try to, there's a lot of information out there about what's happening mm-hmm. and, and, and education about, again, to, to me as an LGBTQ person that it's just pretty basic. <laughs> but when we think more uh, nuanced, think more about our intersectionality, I think that's where the allyship conversations can really make a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, three words, do the work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not any individual's job to educate the world. You know, there are books, there are resources, terminology guides. Yes. I mean, there's a lot out Google. there, though. Google, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, yeah, do the work. Uh, that's, and that's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's one of the many building blocks to, to changing a culture, doing the work, the necessary work, I'll add. Yeah. I just have to, um, I want to tell a story about allyship because it was a really magical moment um, for me when I, uh, I didn't actually come out to my dad. Um, my dad asked me an amazing question. And this is what I think when, when I ask people about, you know, how to be an ally, I think this is a great story. And this is my first year of college. I'm coming home for the summer. And my dad says, you know, he's like, you know, Katie, you know, I, I know that going to college, it's a time of learning and exploration and experience. He's like, do you know, have you you know, kind of have an idea of what your orientation might be. And I just, in that moment, immediately felt safe coming out to my dad. Um, And again, it was this moment where he wanted to know me and my experience and how I saw my identity, not labeling me or making any assumptions based on, you know, my gender expression. Seemed like you got a little emotional thinking about it. Yeah, that's... It always makes me cry a little bit because um, I'm really fortunate Yeah, um, and not everybody is. Well, I think, um, I mean, that going back to that original question, you know, how do we show up for each other? That's a, that's a very powerful example. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, in our, as we think about closing, when we think about our health partners, um, you know, vision, mission and value statement, it talks about uh, relationships built on trust and we usually put a period there, but it also says in service for all, when you think about service, it tends to be about the other person, you know, not thinking about yourself in that moment, but creating space for others. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a perfect example of, of you, you were served in that moment <laughs> yes. and sounds like it's impacted you uh, greatly. So appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for one, being a leader um, and letting us know more about your work and what we can do and just being here and keep it up, man. I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you both so much. Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicolet. It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy with creative by Peggy Arnson, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Jondahl. Production services provided by Matriarch Digital Media. Our theme music is by Ryan Ike.